Welcome to Remember Your Why. I'm your host, Kristen. Many of us suffer from addiction and mental health, and we're here to talk about stories of success and recovery. Whether you're just starting out or have been on the healing journey for some time, it's important to always remember the why that brought you here to this very moment. What makes your heart tick? What sets your soul on fire? What or who inspires you? Whenever you are feeling on the brink of fight or flight, remember you have survived everything that's been thrown your way. Hold tight to that, because what is on the other side of the ugly are some pretty beautiful things that teach us some profound lessons. My hope for this podcast is that it will bring healing and peace to both my guests and the listeners, in some way, in some form. There truly is light on the other side of fear and darkness. Let's find it together. Welcome to Remember Your Why. I'm your host, Kristen. And today I'd like to welcome Kenny into the studio. Hi, Kenny. Hey, how are you today? I'm good. How's everything going over on your end? Can't be any better. Good day. Off of work. Good. Always a good day. Yep. (laughs) So tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and what inspired you to come on this podcast. Um, Well, I mean, the biggest thing is helping out friends and and also giving some hope to people maybe that, uh, that need it. Because at some point in my life, that was given to me at a point where I was actually very hopeless. Uh, so the message reached me, even in little increments. But, uh, you know, I'm sober 30 years in uh, October, God willing, and um, got sober at 21. I don't know. It's been a good ride so far. I guess I just want to get the message out to young people that there is hope that you can live a life without alcohol and drugs. So that's the biggest yes, absolutely. thing for me. So sober at 21. So I think that's a great testament that that you can get sober at an early age. It is possible. How did you get the help that you needed? How did I know I needed it? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was apparent from the age of 10. I mean, uh, I started drinking probably when I was about 10 years old, sipping my grandfather's scotch. And um, I always didn't, I always felt like that square peg in a round hole never quite fit in. And all of a sudden I found alcohol and I felt this sense of ease and calm and, and felt like I could fit in somewhere when I was drinking. And um, I mean, it was quite obvious from the beginning that I was an alcoholic, you know, um, the signs were all there. And I was an Alateen when I was 17, 16 or 17. So I was already in the rooms at a young age, you know, but I just wow. wasn't ready for it. You know, just went from gifted classes in school to like the bad kid classes in school, barely graduating high school. Like it was quite obvious, but uh, I know that for a fact that if I picked up one drink, I, it wouldn't stop with one. So that's been a pattern of behavior since since the first drink I ever picked up. So the signs were always there. People are always pointing at it. I never was ready to accept it, I guess. So did you grow up in an alcoholic household? I did. I did. Uh, my father is an alcoholic. Uh, he actually died in a drinking and driving accident. My mother's sober 33 or 34 years right now. So uh, I, I have wow, two good both her. forks in the road with my parents. So yeah, they got divorced when I was two or three. And then my mother married another alcoholic. So I grew up with the craziness, the insanity, the, the punching the holes in the wall, the screaming, the fighting, you know. So that was my, my story till about 10 when they split up. And then that's kind of when my drinking took off. So I definitely grew up in that environment. And when, when did you sense your drinking was out of control that, that you knew, I, okay, I have a problem Probably in 16, 17, you know, just starting to have trouble with, with school, uh, getting in a lot of fights. I started hanging out in the city. Uh, I found this scene down in the city at CBGB's underground punk rock, hardcore music. And instead of hanging out with friends, I grew up in Rockland County. I was hanging out in the Bowery. I was hanging out in, in uh, Washington Square Park. And, uh, you know, 
doing really bad stuff. So I, I kind of knew it was out of control, but I really didn't care. You know, like the worst yeah. things got, I just justified it and kept going with it. You know, I just really wasn't at a point where I cared about it. And I hung around with people that did the same stuff. So I kind of had, you know, I had that bond with that. Right. So moments where I woke up the next day, didn't know what I did. I was covered in blood, no idea what happened and realized that like, I don't think everybody does this. Yeah. You knew, <laughs> okay, this is not normal. <laughs> no, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I went to a scene of people that that was normal. So I kind of made myself, you know, a little home where I could be insane and and blend in with the rest of the insane people. So it's, it seemed to work. The problem is at some point I became more insane than the most insane in that group. And then I had to start kind of looking at myself like, wow, I'm, I'm like out there with this. So, you know, when crazy people are telling you you're crazy, it's, it's maybe time to look in the mirror. Right. <laughs> right. And how did you get the help that you needed? Did, was it the rooms? Um, was it a therapist? On meetings, with my mother before she realized she was an alcoholic. So I knew that the rooms existed. And then I was sent to Alateen when I was 16 or 17. So I had an introduction to that. You know, when I was 18, I got a, a couple charges against me. I ended up joining the military. I went overseas. And, you know, like everything in my life, things went really good. And then they went crashing down horrible. And uh, same thing with the military. Right. And I had a captain there that was trying to get me help. I just wasn't ready for it yet. So he gave me an option to go to rehab in Germany or go home. And I chose to go home. But it was kind of like first seeds that was really planted and really had to take a look at it because I really loved the military and I wanted to make a career out of it. And I and I kind of destroyed that with my drinking. So I got home. I dated a girl for a little while who's going to the rooms, but I went for her. I didn't go for me. So that lasted right. 80, 90 days, not even 90 days. And then about a year and a half after that first relapse, uh, I got to a point of, you know, suicidal depression and just hold up in a room every night drinking. And this is 21 years of age, you know, but I knew there was a way out, you know, so I actually prayed one night and asked for help. And a couple of days later, I ran into a few friends of mine that had gotten sober and uh, they brought me back to a meeting again. And um, I don't know, I felt like I surrendered that night. I felt like I was where I was supposed to be. I finally gave up and realized that drinking and drugs was never going to work, no matter how many combinations of things I tried it just wasn't going to work. So, I mean, that surrender was the key to everything else opening up for me in life, you know? So I didn't fight it. Made it that up. was the moment. <laughs> it definitely yes. was the moment yeah. for sure. So the rooms of AA, that's, that's really where uh, my life began. And have you been going consistently for the last 30 years? Yep. Yep. I mean, I don't yeah. go as much. I mean, in the beginning, I certainly did what they suggested. I did the 90 and 90 and I just kept on going because honestly, my life was work and go to meetings and meet people in the rooms, go out, play pool, go to diners and really try to associate myself with sober people and kind of stay away from the people, places and things. Because my first time around, mm -hmm. I chose my old crowd over going to AA functions or going to meetings or hanging out with sober people. And it got me drunk. So this time around, I was I kind of told a few of my friends like, hey, I'm going to be gone for a little while. So I need to take care of this. And some of them I'm still friends with to this day. And other ones I found out were just drinking acquaintances and they just kind of faded away. So, but uh, yeah, I mean, I still go to this day. I go maybe two times a week now, if more, if I can, less sometimes, but I definitely try to keep it up and make as many as possible. Sponsor, home group, same thing as day one, you know? Yeah. And that tends to happen with people that we had in our lives drinking and using that we lose a lot of them. Um, it's just, it kind of goes hand in hand. Yep. So how are your relationships with your loved ones now in sobriety um, rather than when you were in active addiction? Well, everything's pretty open, you know, there's, there's no 
hiding anything. There's no secrets, you know? So when I was active, obviously I had a lot of things to hide and the relationship, things weren't open and honest because there was things to be hidden. And nowadays it's just, everything's pretty open. I mean, the relationship with my mother is huge because uh, she prayed for me because she was in early sobriety when I was in my worst, you know? And um, there was a point she had to let go and just let yeah. me be and let me find my own way. And I know that was extremely hard for her to do because uh, she was sober, knew there was a way and her son was struggling. So the fact that I'm here and in the rooms, I mean, she sends me a coin every year and a card and like, you know, very that's great. super proud. I mean, that's a huge connection for us. You know, I mean, relationships are good these days, right? I mean, because yeah, no issues, things are on the, all on the, t- everything's on the table. So it helps when we start to actually say what we're feeling and how we're doing rather than just hiding it all. Absolutely. And I think the older I get, the more I realize, like, if it needs to be dealt with, deal with it now because time is, you know, life is short and you never know what tomorrow is going to bring. So that's for sure. Tell me about a time in sobriety that you had that you'll never forget. It's a memory you will never forget. Does anything stand out in your mind? That's something that really turned things around, changed things for you. I mean, for the first five years, I had a a hard first five years. I think, you know, I, I did a lot in the program, but I also didn't apply the steps as much as I should have. I lost my father when I was two years sober. I just moved out to Phoenix, Arizona to go to motorcycle school. He died drinking and driving, so it was very sudden. I'd gotten married early in sobriety, which wasn't a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One of those things I didn't follow, you know, about getting relationships, and uh, and that didn't work out. So the first five years, I had my, lost my father, got married, got divorced, and uh, wow. I was living in Manhattan again in my old stomping ground. So, uh, you know, I sort of hit an, an emotional bottom. I remember a turning point was really starting to go to this men's meeting on on uh, 23rd Street, this group called PAX. And I'd been told about it for a long time, but I knew that, like, if I went there, that I was probably going to have to do some work. So I chose to stay right. in the Soho group and Midnight Madness and, like, kind of just, I'm going to meetings, I'm kind of doing my thing, but not really. And uh, I showed up at, at PAX and asked for a sponsor, and that's that was a pivotal point in my sobriety because uh, I got one, and he was a not a biker. He wasn't tattooed. He was a businessman from Georgia that had the steps in his life. And he kind of gave me, he laid it out to me like, this is what you're going to do if I'm going to sponsor you. And at that point in my life, that's what I needed to do. So, you know, putting the steps in my life, you know, 21, 22, 23, I don't think I character building wasn't top of my list, I guess. Right. And, and right. Uh, really applying the steps. So I kind of did the ones that I felt like doing at the time. But um, yeah, doing the steps with this guy, Going out to, you know, to Brooklyn where he lives, sitting in a coffee shop and and working the steps out of the big book. Uh, I changed everything. Who knew? Is he still, who knew? <laughs> who knew? Is he still your sponsor today? No, no. He's he's long since, you know, back back home. But uh, it's funny okay. like that, right? I mean, I've been around a while and, and people come, people go, but, but they leave this mark and they leave these things with you that, uh, you know, I could tell you quotes from the first week I was in sobriety of guys that came up to me and the things they said. Cause it's stuck in my brain, you know, and it's, uh, absolutely. So I may never see that guy ever again. Right. I've lost touch with him, but he changed my life and that's, that's how it works here. It's amazing. That's what matters most. Yeah. yeah. And now are you sponsoring currently? Yeah. I got five guys I think right now sponsoring it. Five. That's fantastic. Dude. So like that guy gave it to me and I, and I get to give it away to other, give it back translation of what was given to me. So no really unique thoughts really. <laughs> I'm sure you do a great job passing along the message. What do you think is the biggest stigma surrounding addiction? I, I mean, I think 
these days it's changed, but back in the day, I think it was like man up, you could handle this kind of thing. Like mm -hmm. you know, willpower. Turns out for me, in my case, it wasn't. So, you know, I could try to will all this stuff away as much as possible. I don't know. I don't know if there's a stigma. I mean, it's, it's, it's so rampant nowadays. It's, it's, it's everywhere. Right. So, I mean, I guess certain people might feel uncomfortable around it. Right. But, uh, it's in your face everywhere you go these days. And it's really, really kind of scary, actually, especially with somebody like, you know, I have two kids, so obviously, uh, it's worrisome for me, but, um, yeah, yeah I don't really know how to answer that, but I think it's, uh, it's being embraced more and more sobriety, the, the rooms treatment, because it has to be because it's a real, real problem. So it's a very, very large problem yep. in this in this world right now. And yes, it is very scary mm -hmm. when you think about it. What would be the best piece of advice that you would give to others dealing with mental health and addiction? Best piece of advice? I mean, if you feel like there's an issue, give give recovery a try, you know? I mean, the best suggestion they gave me was stick around, go to 90 meetings in 90 days. Biggest, best suggestion I ever took. Like if at 90, mm -hmm. day 91, your life hasn't gotten any better, you're free to walk out the door. I mean, you're free to walk out the door any day you want, but give yourself a right. shot, right? What's three months? And uh, and being around sober people and maybe trying something different because uh, I know I kept trying the same thing over and over and over again, beating my head against the wall and figuring I was going to find some magic way to stay out there and getting high and get drunk. And I'm glad I stopped trying early because some people stay out there and try until, you know, they try them way, their way right into a early grave. So, you know, yeah, give yourself a shot. It take what it takes. What's three months out of your life? What's a week out of your life to just try to give it a shot, try something different, you know, have some faith that other people might have a way that can help you, you know? Yeah. Even or just go, go to one meeting, you know, see, see, right. See what it's about yep. before you, before you don't try. Because yeah. If you don't try, like you said. Some people I've, I mean, I've been, I've seen a lot of people not make it, you know, not give themselves that shot, right. that chance. And uh, it's sad because when you have this and you have this gift, you realize how good life can be when you just don't do those things. You get to do everything else in life because you don't pick up, you don't drink, you don't drug everything else you can do, right? As long as you're willing to work hard for it. But it's a shame seeing people that have so much potential give up on themselves and, you know, unfortunately not make it. So that's the sad part of this deal. You know, it's really sucks when you see people, you know, not make it. I agree. Give it a chance. I like that. Yeah. Give it a chance. Don't, don't count yourself out, especially like you age 21. I mean, that's impressive. I'm blessed. Believe me. <laughs> You know? Yes. And I thought life was over. Like, you know, I'm not drinking. What am I going to do now? Well, how about everything else? Everything else. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, it's just coming to the realization that if you are an alcoholic and a drug addict, that's it. That's pretty much what else are you going to do except put it down and find a different way of living. I had so many good people in my life that got me to this point. That's for sure. I definitely did do this alone. So. And, and we need those people. I, I think that's important to have people who are in your corner and will back you up in your journey of sobriety because it is, it is hard to do it alone. And we're everywhere. I mean, I've broken down in the middle of nowhere, traveling across the United States, got a hotel room called AA and I was in meetings in Albuquerque, New Mexico and going out to dinner with people I've never met before. Like that's huge. I've been to other countries, you know, islands where I found rooms and I went to meetings and all of a sudden I'm hanging out with people I've never met before because we know each other. And it doesn't matter where we are yeah. there, you know, there's sober people there. So that's, that's like-minded with sobriety. It's like, we're everywhere. You're never alone. 
anywhere you go. So my sponsor will tell you stories in Saskatchewan and he went out somewhere and he found a meeting and nobody believed that he could find yeah. it, but he did. So, you know, yeah. where there's drunks, there's sober people too. So Yes, no? that is that is the truth. Where there's drunks, there's sober people. Yeah. I like that. Fill in the blanks for me. When I am blank, I feel most like myself. Guess when I'm helping people, you know, when I'm when I'm working with a sponsee, I feel it's probably when I feel the best about myself. I know that. I mean, because um, there's nothing like being able to help people. So I guess helping people—that's that's my kind of my thing in life—is like even being being at mm-hmm. service at my job anywhere. It's uh, I enjoy it. I enjoy people. I enjoy talking to people. I enjoy helping, going out of my way if I can. So yeah, I guess that's. That's my thing. My journey has led me to believe in. I guess my journey has led me to believe that there's a purpose for me being here. I mean, because uh, for some reason, I'm one of the ones that was spared alcoholic death. So there's a reason for me to be here. And I believe it's to pass the message on and, and be the best human human being I could possibly be, be the best parent, be the best husband, you know, be the best coworker. And I take that seriously, like when I go out in the world, like I got this gift and, you know, I try to be grateful every day and I try to be happy and, and I try to put my hand out no matter what. And um, it definitely has a lot of benefits. So, I mean, uh, I guess just being a service being grateful. It's been, a, it's been a good road. And not every day is perfect, but, you know, I try to remain grateful no matter what happens, you know, because the alternative wasn't too good for me. Yeah. Gratitude. Mm-hmm. Gratitude is is so important in sobriety. Yep. Yeah. I mean, they say a grateful alcoholic won't pick up a drink. So and I'm, I'm pretty much believe that, you know, I stay grateful. I won't feel the need to drink. So, so far it's worked. So far, yeah. So far <laughs> you're you have a good track record we'll going. going with that recipe. It seems to be all right. So Right. You are never too young or old too. To get sober. I can tell you that. I mean, uh nowadays you see kids coming in 16. It's amazing, you know? But if that's when you hit your bottom, that's when you hit your bottom. And and I've been in meetings in Manhattan where I met a woman that was like 75 years old and she was on methadone for 30 years and she was married to a jazz musician and did heroin with, you know, all the jazz greats in France. And she had mm-hmm. three years sober in her 70s and she was so grateful to have those three years sober in the rooms. So that tells you like, it doesn't matter when, if you get it, you get it. So that was a huge lesson to me to see somebody that old and that, you know, get the program and be that grateful for just having a few years at the end of her life, you know, towards the end of her life. So it's pretty. That's amazing. You know, if you could come in at 16 and save yourself even a few years of pain and misery, good, good for you. You know? Yes, I, I completely agree. My favorite quote is, what is your favorite quote, your go-to? Go with the flow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, and that's kind of how it is, right? Life, life on right. terms, but uh, just kind of going with the flow and not trying to swim upstream and fight the world and fight everything that's going on because there's not a whole lot I can do about other people, situations in the world, politics, exactly. any of that stuff. You know, there's not a whole lot I can do, but uh, I could just go with the flow and do the next best, next right thing in my life, you know? So I don't know. I can go sense it when starting to fight. I can feel that gut, that gut feeling like, you're trying to push, you're trying to manipulate, you're trying to make situations work out. And that's when I know I got to just let go and go with it. So go with the flow, go with the flow. Have gratitude. <laughs> I love that. How do you remember your why, uh, your purpose, the path that you're on? Well, I mean, every day I wake up with untreated alcoholism and I have to do something about it. Right. So, I mean, it's, it's quite obvious. I mean, just because I have some time doesn't mean I'm like, you know, 
cured of this, but uh, it's there. You know, the attitudes, the things are still there. But uh, I mean, I just know. I just know who I am and I know what I need to do. I guess it's just uh, part of my life these days. You know, I know what I have to do. I have to get up. I have to pray. I have to treat people right. I have to, you know, talk to other alcoholics. I have to go to meetings. I have to work with other alcoholics and try to, you know, help them get through the program. So it's, uh, it's just my daily life nowadays, you know? So. And what is one, one thing you would say to the struggling alcoholic or addict? I mean, kind of going back to give yourself a chance, right? I mean, right. if you're struggling with it, then there's obviously some sort of a problem. So try something else, take that leap of faith and, and talk to somebody, go to a meeting, you know, go to a program and just give something else a try. Cause like I said, I mean, there's a couple of people in my life, even before I got sober that said just one little thing that planted a seed that like, got me to the next mm-hmm. phase of getting to this point of being sober. So who knows, you know, you show up to that one place and you hear your story being told and you identify and all of a sudden you're like, Hey, maybe I'll come back tomorrow. So, but it takes you showing up. Right. I mean, I remember going to meetings right. and sitting out in the parking lot and staring at that door petrified of going in and I would leave, you know, and, and it took a while to get out of the car, walk to the door and walk in shaking it can be daunting it's it's scary it's a lot of fear but then the insanity of it is going back to this crazy life of alcohol and drugs that i knew was destroying me as opposed to walking in a door and possibly getting help so that's the insanity of this whole thing like there's help on the other side of that door but i'm gonna go back and do what i'm comfortable with at the moment even though i know it's killing me crazy but that's what that's how we think right i mean Yes, take the leap of faith and try something else. Try something new, you know? I mean, just that one time, that one push, that extra push to get through that door and, and just introduce yourself and say, I'm hurting and I need help. And there's so many people in there that are going to reach out and grab you and, and, you know, walk you through the process. Give you a hand. Yep, 100%. Take that leap of faith and give yourself a chance. Yep. I'd like to end on that. <laughs> Thank you, Kenny, for joining me. Thank you. Guys, this is Remember Your Why.